0: In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions All right, so we're recording now back with Bridget Shea. We're going to Talk a few things um, about coronavirus, you know, maybe like a little bit of, you know, maybe the research that you've done since we last talked about, you know, like what narratives are and kind of some of the stats that are starting to come out and how the coronavirus seems to be getting a little bit more controversial by the day, depending on like what side that you want to stand on, um, you know, but I think like a real key thing to be able to talk about um, is uh, we were just alluding to what you're going to do with your practice. And I, I didn't want to get into it before because I wanted to get into it on here, but uh like what did you mean by that <laughs>
1: um well i i am pretty sure that you know this coronavirus scenario isn't going to be sorted out anytime soon um i am open to the fact that it could go on for another couple of years, even, but especially for the next year on and off it'll it it will never never be completely off, <laughs> yeah but it'll be it may get worse at times we i'm that's just the you know trend from previous epidemics so um so yeah, so in that I mean the way that we do pretty much everything has to be reevaluated and um and and uh, so that's what I've been thinking about in terms of my clinical practice as well, yeah. um, Because the way that my practice is set up currently, I have two treatment rooms and I have a lobby, and so I'm constantly going back and forth between rooms. I always have two people at the same time, and then you know people show up early or whatever, or they bring a family member, they sit in the lobby. And it's a nice open space with big high ceilings and, um, and all of that. And I have air filtration and everything going. But um, because of the coronavirus, I am talking to other practitioners and, you know, just kind of brainstorming about how the practice is going to look going forward. Um, because being in New York State, obviously, they've done a lot of testing here. And so the numbers here are pretty high. Um, both in terms of active infections and um, some of the random antibody tests they've done. So, um, you know, it's still going around and um, I want to make sure that if I'm working, that I'm not putting myself at risk and my family at risk when I go home and, um, and I want to be able to see my parents. (laughs) I haven't seen them in a couple of months in person now, Um, It's been almost two months, so I don't want to continue to not be able to see them. So I need to make sure both that I'm safe and that the people that are coming into the clinic are also safe. I would never want to be the place that, you know, a source got traced back to. So um, I I have been working with people over telehealth that have been diagnosed positive with COVID-19, and with those who haven't um and I can tell you that it is very unpredictable and you don't know how your body's going to respond until you get it and um and it, for me it's you know seeing the suffering that people are going through with it it's not worth taking the chance and I would never want to subject anyone to that so first and foremost is you know prevention as far as this goes um so prevention involves not getting exposed to begin with if possible so i would have to go down from that model of seeing two clients every hour and a half to seeing one
0: and the financial impact of that just like Mm -hmm. is especially when you're paying like obviously a lease at this place that is like you know two rooms now you don't even need two rooms anymore like do you relocate you right. know, like just there's so many things that come when you, as soon as you say that, you know, my mind from having leased space for so long, like those are all the things that you immediately think about. Right.
1: Absolutely. So am I, so I'm thinking about that. What am I going to do? Am I going to um, even be able to afford to live out, you know, the lease that I have um, given the current situation, because I'm not going to go back to seeing um, two people at once, right now. And I don't foresee that happening. I I don't know that it'll ever happen again, to be honest with you. I don't think this is going to last forever. But once I get out of that rhythm of seeing two people at once, I'm not sure I want to get back into it. Um, It actually wasn't a business model I was looking forward to begin with. It was just sort of um, the model for most um, acupuncturists. Uh, when they come out of school to have two or three rooms, yeah. so um and so me having two is like on the low end, right Cause I know people that have
0: five so wow that's uh, just uh that 's a lot to manage at one time, eh
1: yeah, yeah, it is, and it's you know it's it it brings into question the depth of treatment with people and um, and your own exhaustion level as well and and how deep you can go if you can even take pulses um, all sorts of things so so,
0: so then would you also sorry to cut you off would you also look at increasing the amount of time? So, like the way that I kind of look at this so say hypothetically you've seen 20 patients a day and then that went down to 10 patients a day because you're going to cut that in half by eliminating a room now does that 10 patients actually go down to like six or seven because now you need to do like 15 minute spacing in between each appointment
1: you got it
0: yeah so like it's kind of like a third like a third of the volume a third of the capacity like you know like these are kind of like the real things that we're all starting to look at right now like like what does that look like you know like like how do we even like live the lives like can we live the lives that we've been living so far like financially with the financial restrictions of like being able to In a service based industry and perform the servicing remotely the same way, because I also look at that with you saying that you're working through telehealth, which is like gotta be really hard on an Eastern practitioner because Eastern practitioners are very hands on.
1: Well, we are. Um, I think it's harder on the clients actually because when they look at Eastern medicine, they're expecting acupuncture, yeah, and helping, Um, but really, acupuncture and Chinese. Herbal medicine are two different modalities in the East. You know, whether you're in Japan or China or wherever you are, there. Um, even in India with Ayurveda, like there's an Ayurvedic doctor that oversees the clinic, um, but the bodywork treatments are done by somebody else. The doctor doesn't do that. The doctor is responsible for diagnosis and prescribing herbs and prescribing what treatments the person will get. Okay. So, honestly what needs to be done as part of this whole shift that, that many of us are going to be experiencing as far as Eastern medicine so is that um, the public... You know, there's a huge... Point. Medicine is herbal medicine. Acupuncture is acupuncture. They have two different diagnostic. Uh, methods too. I mean, in both situations, my, it says the connection's unstable. Can you still hear me?
0: I mean, cut out for just a little bit, but we can hear you just fine now.
1: All right. So, um, in both scenarios, we take the pulse, we look at the tongue, but we're doing more of like an internal medicine-based diagnosis when we do herbal medicine, and we're doing more of a channel diagnosis when we're doing acupuncture. And so the the criteria are different for how you treat. So as far as like an acupuncturist that doesn't also do herbal medicine going into telehealth, it would be a bit trickier. I'm sure they could find what their strong suit is outside of inserting needles and help people in that way. But being an herbalist, uh, people like me that are trained in both or that or just practice herbs are really not at that much of a deficit with the telehealth um, because as long as the public knows how important Chinese medicine is, then they won't be missing out on anything, right? They won't. The only thing they'll be missing out on is me taking somebody's pulse. Um, And it's been interesting in the absence of that to see like some of the people that I have uh, coming to me are extremely intuitive and and in touch with their bodies and I've actually had a couple of them check their own pulse for me yeah and tell me what they felt in certain positions when I have them and the feedback I've been getting is really really cool so yeah, that's
0: the, the innovation behind that is is incredible because again like that's kind of like like a spin-off benefit of all this because like that's really what we should all be teaching you know like the people that we see you know is how to be able to like learn more about themselves too and like that's essentially mm-hmm. what you're doing now is like you're allowing you're walking them through that process to be able to help you but it allows them to be able to know them, themselves even better
1: yeah and I really like it actually you know I like being able to do the, I mean, I love being able to meet with people, but that's not going to be the ideal model for the next 18 to 24 months, probably. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, some people, for some people, it will be, especially if we know that we do have immunity once we contract this, or once the vaccine comes out, and that's a whole other story. Um, but uh, you know, for now, it's 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 not a bad model, you yeah. know, and it's it's highly effective. I can see their face. I can check their tongue. And then when we have those bad connection times, I can just call them on the phone after I've seen them and check their tongue. And then we can do the rest of the consult on the phone. I've got all the herbs here and I've got a bunch of companies that I refer them to for supplements that I don't have on hand. And then, you know, it's, so it's, it's really quite nice. And so it's something that I've, I've done a little bit throughout my practice um, it's something I wanted to get a little bit more into doing. And I was already looking into doing more online courses and um, things yeah. like that. So I was kind of already moving in this direction. It's just now I have to really make the choice of how gradual it's going to be or if it's going to be just a leap. And then, um, you know, into virtual versus having my foot in the one-on-one and also in the virtual worlds. And then, you know, the other piece to, to all of this is, um, uh, how safe I'm, I can make the clinic for people, which I, which I already mentioned. And that would be one person at a time, only me and that person in the clinic, no masks, no entry shoes yeah. come off outside. Um, everything gets sterilized. And then, you know, I have to look at getting even a different like a massage chair, because having a mask on and being laying on your stomach, you know, face down on a massage table is going to be already people are uncomfortable in the headrest. Um, yeah. It's going to be even harder with a mask on. So then if I get a massage chair, then they're just kind of leaning forward. um And it'd be less pressure on their face, they'll be able to breathe a little bit more easily, but. You know, I'll have to send people to go wash their hands before they come back into, before they come into the treatment room, you know, send them right from the lobby and sterilize everything. And I'm sure there's things I haven't even thought of yet because I'm probably not even going to be able to open up until June legally. Yeah. So, you know,
0: maybe kind of like, that's like a good segue into just kind of explaining, like, what is the narrative like in New York right now? Because I think we all kind of just, understand it based on like our, our own geographical restrictions. And I know even for where I'm at, you can travel to different municipalities and they have different restrictions. You know, yeah. like you go, you're like, you know, in Langley, you know, it's like, you know, you're lining up in a line to go into the grocery store. You can drive into like Surrey and there's no lineup to go into the grocery because it's just like, everybody kind of come in, you yeah. know, like there's golf courses that have always been open in one municipality and not in the other. Like, Right. and you know, you're talking like different provinces and different states and then different countries like like there it's just so different everywhere like i just it yeah. it's hard to even really interpret like what that really means
1: yeah um well here in new york right now um we've been on what people are calling lockdown yeah but uh, we have lots of parks and trails and things like that so people are still going out and I mean, it's it, the weather is just. It's been so cold, oh. and so overcast. Like it's probably fifty degrees Fahrenheit today, for example.
0: Oh wow, it's been yeah. beautiful, like twenty-five degrees in sunshine.
1: Right. So it should be about seventy here right now. Instead, yeah. it's you know, um, a lot colder and raining a lot, cloudy a lot, and with little kids, it's like, oh my god, not another day. <laughs> But um, we had one nice day a couple of days ago. It was like 20 degrees warmer out. And it was like we, we went for a walk. I mean, there's just people walking back and forth in front of the house. The parks are packed. Like you can't even go to a park because you can't maintain six feet of distance. And that's what they're saying we're supposed to be doing right now is maintaining six feet of distance and the way Governor Cuomo has phrased it is that if you can't maintain six feet of distance, you have to wear a mask. And I would say easily 90% of the people I see walk by my house or I've seen when we've even, we've thought about going to um, the state park and just drove through and it was like a Matthew's nope. band. So There, there's an amphitheater there as well. That's my reference. But um, in in like 90% of them don't have masks on, and you can't walk around on trails without coming close to other people. Um, So that's been kind of like my—I've been—I've been upset about that because I felt from the beginning that everybody should be wearing masks. It's a respiratory disease and whether it's going to filter out hundred percent of the droplets or the particles or not it is going to decrease the viral load if you are exposed and one of the theories is that the the exposure to a high viral load is, is um correlates with how sick one gets so so why not maybe, uh, aerosol, Bridget, i'm just gonna I'm,
0: gonna I'm gonna jump in real quick maybe um like i know like some people are educated in this you know but just in case if anybody's not Maybe explain like what a high viral load um, consists of. Like like what does that mean in layman's terms?
1: I don't I don't actually know like what the technical stats are on it. But for example, like these younger, no preexisting condition medical workers that are getting super sick and ending up in the ICU are dying. Um, the the one of the theories is that they're getting so sick because they're so exposed to the virus. Like there's so much virus in the air around them all the time that there's really no way for them to completely like hazmat suit themselves up and not get affected by it. You know, they're working really long shifts and they're tired and there's, it's easy taking the PPE off to contaminate oneself. And so, and then, you know, in the beginning there weren't, there wasn't adequate PPE and like the blower, I think he was an ophthalmologist in China, that doctor that was originally saying that this was going to be a a big problem. He passed. And the theory behind it was that he had so much virus in his blood or in his body that his own body couldn't keep up with it and fight it off. Yeah. and so, and so that's what that means, that vir- that increased viral load, is that the more you have of the virus circulating and multiplying inside of you, the harder it is for your body to deal with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and then also, you know, like, dealing with, like, other viruses as well, like, at the same time that might be, like, in, in the viruses, so basically just, oh, right. like, an, an accumulation or a manifestation of, like, like, multiple different viruses or saturation of viruses where, like, you know it's like driving around with a car with like that's half full of gas versus full of gas you know like it just you know we have so much virus of any kind in our body that it's just it's too much for our body to handle you know so then we're a lot more susceptible to having severe symptoms of you know things like covid-19 or anything at that point in time
1: right like if there's a latent lyme infection or something like that even you know
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so and so as far as like new york goes like the governor has been saying that Everyone needs to have masks on if they can't maintain that six feet apart. Um, but, like, my brother just posted on Facebook today, like, it was Taco Tuesday or something at some Mexican restaurant yesterday, and there's like hundreds of people crammed into this corridor. You know, the tacos. It's just so strange. I feel like. We came through this um, thing, especially New York, where everyone making the infection really. If you were downstate, which is down by New York City, I'm more upstate by the Adirondacks, and so the different areas of the state have had different intensities of infection is kind of middle of the road downstate is like really high infection rates like we have some downstate patients in our hospital here in saratoga for example
0: um and that's because of like population so, density too right
1: yes yeah, yeah it, has, it has a lot to do with the population density and you know i've heard a lot of theories i've heard a lot of about um about how that all works um, and one of them that I was talking to a friend about, um, whose daughter is in Italy, is that part—the part of Italy that got hit really hard to start with. They have a lot of apartment buildings, and they have more of a high density because of that. And and so that, if you think about Manhattan and the surrounding boroughs, there are a lot of you know high—it's very high density and a lot of high-rise apartment buildings and um and the people that are in those buildings are are in a sense more susceptible you know if they just walked down the stairs after somebody who was sick and breathed it in or they touched the railing or it went through the ventilation system or whatever it is so so yeah that's definitely that's definitely um an aspect to it is that population population density Um, you know, having to take the subway. And a lot of people don't live near where they work, even health workers, they have to take the subway to get to work. And subway was pretty packed for a while when this first started. So, um, so we're divided up into different regions. And those different regions are going to be able to kind of come out of that quote, unquote, lockdown, which hasn't completely been a lockdown Most businesses have been closed. So for me, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm considered professional service. Um, And the reopening is going to go in phases. I won't be able to reopen until phase two. Phase one, I think most people are assuming is going to begin on May 15th when the original lockdown orders are supposed to begin to be lifted. And so phase one, anyone in manufacturing or construction is going to be able to open. And then if the numbers of infections and hospitalizations and deaths continues to in an area, then phase two, which would include professional services myself or hair salons or whatever, then they can start to open. And I think um, like restaurants and, and you know, um, entertainment venues, they're going to be in the very last phase. So this is... It's, it's going to be dependent upon the numbers, you know, and how well we're keeping the infection rate down in spite of the fact that we're starting and, and be able to to open these businesses up again and and um, maybe ease restrictions into and out of the grocery stores even. So um, right now, for example, in our area, if you were to go to Walmart, there, there are – there's a door you have to go in and you have to follow the line through the aisles. Right. And you know, a lot of, a lot of people just aren't doing it. (laughs) I mean, it's a pain in the butt. It takes like hours to do something that might take you ordinarily, you know, 30 or 40 minutes. Um, so, so that's kind of what it looks like here. I think that, um, Beginning, people were sort of tweaked out and really like on board, and wanting to um, support one another overall. And I think now everyone at cabin (laughs) can now maybe even still having enough money if they're not working and and starting to get scared about the repercussions. And then it is supposed to get nice out uh, at some point point, <laughs> yeah, and people are going to want to get outside more and, and socialize more. And that's just a natural thing that we do in the springtime. And so it's, I think it's giving people a little bit of a sense of like, hope like that antsiness and the, uh, and the unsettledness and the fear about not having enough money and, and what's going to happen to the businesses is all kind of creating this storm. And so then, um, being as big a threat as it was oh it's more like the division is between whether or not you want to wear a face mask and reopen your state or not um so it's time to be alive
0: yeah <laughs> See, you know, and I guess like those are the things too, like when we look at like the difference between like being in like these, like these geographical regions, like, you know, when our, when our countries are, are so close to each other, you know, and like our numbers, you know, like, especially like in BC are constantly being like readjusted down because, you know, like we took like these measures based on like what our interpretation was. And it's kind of about 30% of that. And, you know, they just like this constant like reassessment, Process, but then you know, like we are typically a little bit more spaced out in you know, in BC, although we have like a little bit of a a denser population downtown. But like, you know, like it seems kind of like generally across Canada, you know, like that there's been like it, we haven't seen the numbers that we were anticipating. But then you get a state like New York, or I guess like kind of New York City is probably a better uh, generalization of that, that like you know, you see like so many like dramatic cases and stuff. So like that's where like i feel like there's getting to be quite a like a divide out here versus people saying okay well you know we keep seeing like all these numbers come in you know now we see the things like the the world health organization that may or may not be ultimately kind of be like a puppet for china because like the controversy now with the director of the world health organization and you know we took all these measures based on like their advice turned out that their numbers were skewed you know and then we went through all these protocols and you know like I, I just feel like the information world pool right now um, is just really kind of like it, it's tough to be able to find out like what position that like you really kind of like want to like side with or like what you want to believe in because like I know I follow like a few doctors and stuff on Instagram and like one thing they've been really talking about right now is like how you're 10 times more likely to be able to get Um, like symptoms or severe case of COVID-19 because like metabolic disorders, you know, like lifestyle of choice, you know, disease and stuff. Like, so now you have like, even like doctors coming online and like, you know, like weighing out their opinions, you know, we have the news kind of going both ways. We have like, you know, these supposed like world organizations that are supposed to manage like our healthcare worldwide that we don't even know if we can really trust them anymore. Like it just like, there's like, there's so much to the information pool here Um, Do you think that this is like one of those cases, again, where we almost are getting to a point now where like we know too much and like there's there's this constant inundation of like information? Because, you know, like 40 years ago or 50 years ago, there would have just been, everybody would have tuned in to like CBC News up here in Canada, you know, and and you would have listened to this singular source and that's where you got your information and that's what just people did, you know, but now it's like... Twitter tells a version, Instagram tells a version, Facebook tells a version, the World Health Organization tells a version, you know, um, Justin Trudeau tells a version, Donald Trump tells a version. Like you just have like all of these things. Then you don't even have countries doing the same thing as other countries are doing. It's like, how does that affect where, again, like where you say, well, some people are maintaining six feet apart. Some people aren't. Some people are wearing a mask. Some people aren't, you know, like, like you can kind of see how like all those narratives become real to everybody, like in these spaces, you know, because we have people here now protesting about wanting to go back to work. Yeah. And now we have people protesting to not go back to work because like okay. these people protesting say like, I, I want to go back to work. I'm tired of this. Like I want to get out this lockdown thing. Then you have people like, yeah. I don't want to be some of the first people to go back to work because you're basically making me a guinea pig. So it's like, you really see like all of these, like, you know, like, and even like up here, we have like a one, two, six month, um, like mortgage deferral, you know? So there's people who can pay their mortgages who are deferring their mortgages for six months thinking like, Oh, well just like, you know, pay it like, you know, like later on, it's like that has big implications later on. So like, everybody's kind of doing these things like in Canada, you know, for like three months, you can get this $2,000 a month. You know, but most people don't realize that they, like the federal government said, this is taxable income, you know? So, but most people are thinking it's just like $2,000 in its entirety when it's more like $1,600 that, or $1,650 roughly what they're going to get. Forgetting about all these like little things. But again, like they're, they're, my point behind all this is, it's all this information that a household has to interpret based on like where they're getting their information from on like, on like what news source. Um, so to to kind of cover a few of these things, like, like, what do you think about like this, this kind of bigger pool of doctors that starting to come out and like criticizing the responses to COVID-19 and criticizing, you know, like, like what makes COVID-19 system uh, or COVID-19 symptoms worse? Like, do you think that they should be doing that? Do you think that they shouldn't be doing that? Do you think because they're doctors, they should tote the, this same information that's being, you know, presented by everybody else, or do you think that these doctors that are coming online and challenging the narrative of COVID nineteen, um, that it's a, it's ethical that they do so because their opinion as a, a medical practitioner um, should be heard?
1: I I feel that their opinion as a medical practitioner should be heard.
0: Yeah.
1: And I I I would hope that. You know, the majority of those doctors coming out and speaking about their "quote unquote" alternative views of COVID nineteen would be rooted in in as much science as possible, mm-hmm. um, and in common sense. So, I mean, it would be something th- that's something that I listen to, like when I when I see it. A doctor come on tv or when i see one pop up in my newsfeeder i i listen to what they have to say and just like anything else there are doctors whose information i feel is just doesn't resonate and then there are those that it does and um so that's basically yeah i think that they that they should be coming out and saying what they think Mm -hmm. because maybe if they had before now, more people would have been wearing masks and it wouldn't be, I think that like part of the problem with, with that piece in particular is you said there's been so much information and the information has changed like with that specific, you mask became everybody has to wear masks and um you know it 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 is almost like too much because now like all the politic stuff is getting involved in the U.S. we're coming into an election year and and then the other thing is like you mentioned you know 40 years ago people have been the TV or the radio and listening to one particular news source. And now it's like, I, I, I'm a fan of journalism, but I'm not a fan of sensational journalism. And I feel like we have aspect of journalism and just focus on what the truth of what the facts are that are coming through, not what that particular network or news source is trying to convince us to think. Mm I mean, I think that's part of the problem is that we've got news agencies that are not just giving the facts. They're giving their spin on the facts and that that's confusing for people as well. And I think that's also what what turns a lot of people off from media, right? And then, it you know, like with this thing, it's like the the boy who cried wolf, because at first people were inclined to not believe that it was going to be a problem because they thought it was the media just overhanging the situation for the story, mm-hmm. and in and so these some level of discernment that we teach ourselves through this if we don't already have it so that we can so that we can feel for ourselves what you know where the truth lies and in everything and if we can't then maybe we need to step away from it and take a couple of days without exposing ourselves to it and just kind of center a break and then go back to it after yeah
0: so I got it like a a couple like avenues that I want to walk down with you but like like the first one like what do you feel about this what what's your personal opinion on this situation with the director of the World Health Organization and the criticism that he's fielding right now um you know about potentially having like China's best interest in mind but not keeping like the world's best interest in mind and kind of mismanaging um the information coming out when it came out and what information was made available to the public in all the countries to be able to make an informed decision.
1: Um, I haven't the past few days, I haven't been keeping up on that as much. So I don't know if I missed anything the last few days, as far as that goes. I mean, I think He's got a tough job to do, and I think that um, you know it's easy. Here's um, well, easy to stand in the clinic, and when we're shadowing our peers, when when you first start out in clinic, you're next to the wall, wall, and they're interviewing the patient, and they're figuring out the treatment plan and they're doing the treatment. And that's part of the way you learn is by kind of standing back and watching, well, what do I feel went well here? What what made me think about things in a different way to what I would do them? And what would I not want to repeat from this scenario? And so, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, I would have done this or I would have done that right to some extent Um, and criticize, you know, the, the decisions that were made. But I also think, um, I think that we're reluctant to pull the trigger on categorizing this as the pandemic that it is. And I could understand, I guess at first why they did that, but I, I they were like erring on the side of caution to not like blow it out of proportion. if it wasn't going to be really bad, um, but I've, I've just, I've never quite understood why they didn't recommend even like travel from China be minimized or, I mean, I know that they can't say, you know, this country has to do this and that country has to do that, but they can make recommendations to there's, mm-hmm. I would imagine, you know, even if it's not like public knowledge or whatever. Um, but I think but that.
0: Just, but just think like when Donald Trump, when he banned travel from China, how he was so heavily criticized from doing that um, so early. And then people thought that it had something to do with, you know, like trade wars with China or like a political agenda. But now that it's happened and people knowing what they know. He,
1: from my yeah, okay. From my perspective, he didn't do that early. From oh. my perspective, that should have been done three weeks earlier. Yeah, I guess
0: just like in a political arena done early, but yeah, maybe not. You know,
1: you, you see what was happening on the news. You could see that this was not a good scenario, that it was way out of control compared to SARS a decade ago. This was something different. And I'm glad he finally did that. But honestly all the air travel should have been heavily restricted when this first started to go down in China. Um, from my, that's my opinion. And then, you know, and I would say this to people that do, and they'd be like, well, you can't do that. People have freedom to travel. It brings into question all these other things. And then, but my, I guess my meaning is always toward the public health end of it. So I I tend to err on the side of caution when it comes to things
0: like that so I guess like this kind of brings me into like a a few of these other things I'm going to kind of just progressively keep throwing you under the bus to get your your personal opinion on these things I hope that you don't mind um what do you what do you think about these these concepts that are going on like in the countries that have decided to embark on this and just like the narratives around like herd immunity and you know, like we've been, you know, um, exposed to this virus for so many more months before we ever really even understood it, um, and how many people have antibodies to it, or the like the countries that have just chosen to be able to take that approach. Um, like, like, what's your opinion on herd immunity in regards to uh, COVID-19?
1: I think the problem with herd immunity regarding COVID-19 is that we can't rely on that until we know if... First of all, everyone has antibodies that gets it, regardless of how severe the infection was or not, and how long those antibodies are strung for. So, I mean, we can rely on herd immunity if we know that if you if you tested positive for it, that you're going to have antibodies, and you're going to be immune to it for the rest of your life, all right? that's That's one situation I think you can rely on it for, and and I'm not a public health expert, so I I don't, I want everyone to take this with a grain of salt, what I'm saying, but um, I think that, I think that um, there's value to it, for sure. If, if we have immunity, long-standing immunity, then there is some, there is some value to it. Definitely, and we need to know if we have long-standing immunity to it with titers before everybody races into vaccinated as well. I think. I mean, I don't want to get a vaccine anything. I've got high titer to, right? So why would you want to do that? To do that again to yourself? Um, yeah. So. There is, there is, yeah. My, my, um, my hesitation with it is that I'm, I'm afraid that we don't have long-standing immunity to it, or that you have to have a certain severity of infection in order to gain the immunity to it. Yeah. That's kind of what my fear is with that. Yeah. Which is why I'm, I'm still. I'm wearing a mask everywhere I go. I mean, I was really sick over the winter um, with something that was very, very, very odd yeah. and yeah. did not feel right to me. And I remember when I was sick, taking my herbs and being like, you know what? I don't even know if I should be taking these because they're, I knew they were helping, but I wasn't sure if... I would develop uh, enough immunity to it because they were helping so much, you know, it was a thought that went through my head while I was taking them and I've never thought that before. Um, so I just, yeah, I, I I don't know.
0: Yeah. When you say that, like, I know myself because you and I were both sick at the same time. I don't know if you remember that. Like we were having to be sick on like, during that. Um, But I've also talked to a lot of other people around the same time that like I was sick, which would have been the same time that you were sick, that I know a lot of people, including myself, that like we may have already had this COVID-19 like months and months ago because the symptoms seemed to be like so, so similar. And like people were like, the sickness that we felt didn't seem like how we would normally feel sick. Like it was something different about it. It wasn't like overwhelming. It wasn't like, horrible but like it was just it felt like the sickness was just a little bit different and the timing was odd like it wasn't really at a time when you would think that you would normally be getting sick so um like like i'm starting to think like yeah we may have like a lot of us have may have already went like through this um you know i like, just kind of like a little bit say went into like what you what you brought there but uh my my question that i want to ask you too is you know because when we get, like, these vaccines, especially when it comes to, like, things like, you know, like, SARS, how there still isn't one, or we have, like, COVID-19, like, things like this, that we don't have anything that, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, that um, that actually is really proven to be effective. So, like, even if we do, in, like, 12 to 18 months, come up with, like, um, you know, some kind of vaccine for this, like, the likelihood of it actually working is still not very high, but it's more of, like, like a safety blanket to put on feeling like that you've done something proactive when the effectiveness is still actually quite low. Now, is that a true statement? Is that, am I just full of it there? Kind of weed that out for me.
1: I don't, I I don't think that it's off the table to think that, you know, I think that they're going to rush through up to I think that they kind of have to. I think that, you know, it's not going to be like some of the other illnesses that they've been saying, oh, yeah, like, you know, 20, 30 years, there's still no vaccine. I don't think they're going to let it slide like that because it has been such a hit to the worldwide economy, you know, Mm -hmm. which is why they're forcing everything open. Areas because it's a, um, so I think they're going to have to seriously work on this um, is it going to be a thing where we're going to need to get re-inoculated every year like they do with the flu shot I don't know mm-hmm. and then there's also um, there was a, a review that I, I read about um, how getting the flu shot can minimize your reaction to um, other upper respiratory illnesses. It can um, diminish your, react- your body's response and make you more susceptible. So it's like, I'd like to see more research come out about that. If getting the flu shot would make you more susceptible to getting COVID, the coronavirus in the fall.
0: Well, that would But I don't
1: think that's what's going to happen. I think what we're going to see is they're going to push the flu shot even more because they're not going to want you with concurrent infections in the hospital because it complicates everything.
0: So, and then, you know, like this is like an interesting part of this conversation too because, like, if if you actually look at the statistics, you know, uh, especially in in the United States, um, you know, so obviously there's like an abundance of these uh, about how much SARS. Um, infection that there still is every year um, at the same time that we get like a seasonal flu outbreak when you actually look at the the graphs and the charts and stuff um, like stacking now this COVID-19 on top of SARS on top of you know like this uh, like just the seasonal like influenzas and all that kind of stuff like it, it the the amount of SARS that was traceable every year like yes it did start to diminish but I what I've seen I believe is only after about three years that there was actually starting to get quite a bit of a decline but there was like three successive years after that where SARS was quite high um, in the fall when like the the you know whatever influenza strain was gonna go around that year um, you know d- is this where some of the worry comes in because like now we're kind of stacking like these viruses on top of each other because SARS is still present in our our seasonal flu every year, every fall, um, you know, but now we kind of stack this COVID-19 on and Like what you said, you know, like this is for years. Well, we can go back and look in the data and say, well, yeah, we do know it is for years because SARS was also for years. All yeah. of these things have been for years. Why wouldn't this one be too?
1: Right. Yep. And they're saying now, like, I think one epidemiologist said that this is going to be like, we're looking at 36 months of this. Yeah. You know, of, of these modified lifestyle things that we're going to have to do. And then um, the other thing that I've heard is that they're thinking that this was actually longer, as, as we were just saying, because it was such a bad season. So a lot of doctors are now saying, well, maybe a lot of the illness we were seeing in the hospital this winter were actually COVID. And, and the flu or COVID-19
0: you know yeah yeah absolutely anyway and those will be like the things where like like can they go back and, and track that or is it like are those statistics just kind of unknown variables now because they didn't test for COVID-19 then and we can't go back and look that- at it and see if we had kind of a first wave of this you know because I've also heard that narrative too that like This right now might be the second wave. The second wave might not come and fall because we might've been dealing with this, you know, for like months already in the past. And then there was a little bit of a dip. And then this is the second wave, you know, and again, this is just another one of those narratives that is out there that, you know, becomes plausible to some degree because we just simply don't know. Right. Is there any way that we can go back and and find any of that out from like, yeah,
1: we don't know. know. And, uh, Go ahead. The only thing I would think is if there are, and they do let anyone donated blood over the fall of last year and winter, they could maybe go into those blood donations and pull samples, or anybody that had a sample taken that was still on ice somewhere in some lab, they could go back in and check that. I know like with the woman um, who passed February 6th and Santa, yeah, she was like one of the first people in the United States recorded to have passed from COVID-19. Um, she, they, they went back in, I think, and tested her. Um, yeah. I think, I think that was the, I think I'm thinking of the right thing there. Um, And then like in Seattle, that that public health doctor that had all the samples from flu season, she went back into those flu samples and tested for COVID-19 in those flu samples that she saved for her. She was doing like her own study, kind of off the books. Yeah. Um, and, and that's why she had all those samples. So if, if there are like that, I guess, then there would be, uh, you know, they'd be able to go back in and check them.
0: Do you know what the results that she found? I, I didn't, uh, I didn't hear about that. Did, did she find that those flu samples did contain COVID-19 or is that? Some of them
1: did. Yes, there were a couple of them that did. Really? And that, that information is what pushed their thing it was in
0: seattle
1: yeah was yeah so they were saying i think january sometime in january they were thinking because that's when her samples were from
0: oh wow yeah there's yeah. just so many unknown variables to say. um so i know we kind of touched on on this like last time too, it and it's something that i keep on bringing around to like to everybody not only like you know like regular posts that I make um you know on social media but through like all these conversations too um like do you think that at this point in time when we have people that where they haven't been working for like the last you know month or two or on a like a reduced work schedule or you know a little bit more isolated at home do you think that this would have been and it could have been a great time for like our governments also to kind of put out a message saying like, hey, you know, while you're at home, you know, like, these are some like really great things that you can do to like, you know, make yourself healthier, you know, like, like eating healthier tips for me healthier, like getting like exercise, you know, like, like these, these are some of the options, you know, like, and really just helping also not promote the fear mongering behind it, you know, you whether like that fear is justified or not, but just saying like, hey, we have this real situation going on staying at home is a component of it, you know, but we also really need to look at the health care of our citizens as a whole, yeah. you know, because, you know, with about 60% of people, you know, in the United States, either having type two diabetes, or um, showing the signs of getting type two diabetes. I like I wonder how many people now that they've been at home, sedentary lifestyles, you know, eating presumably crappier, like all these things, how much more of a decline like the overall health is going to get in our countries, which like if we go into the fall, you know, where there's going to be this second yeah. wave and presumably have a population that is more unhealthy because stress levels are higher. Yeah. People's routines yeah. are broken. People are financially stressed. People have changed yeah. their eating habits because, you know, um, you know, one of my friends, he said to me, is like, you know, Blake, you're going to be so busy, you know, soon, you're know, helping everybody kind of get back on track. I'm like, well, I think yes and no because I also know that people change routines in two to four weeks. People are like, you know, like eight weeks into a routine change for the worse right now. How do we coach people to be able to come out of that when this is could be something that could be happening right now? Saying like, let's not let the wheels come off the bus too bad because we have to be thinking of like, what our immune system function is going to be like coming into the fall when this potential second wave may come, right?
1: Right, right. And so that, and that's exactly what we're going to have to do is to put those out there, to put those podcasts out there, um, to at least start with our own clients that we can bring this up for, because um, you know it's not in the public health bud- budget to to really advertise these things or in the you know it's the politicians are just trying to get through the day i think and have everything not completely fall apart so it's not like prevention as far as like the little things you can do to not expose yourself is important but that piece about looking at preventative health and wellness and longevity is such it's like it's the thing that goes on the back burner, you know, I think it's what so many people get involved with going to the gym for and their diet and doing yoga and stuff like that. But then when thing like this happens, it's like the first thing that falls to the wayside, right? Mm The meeting goes out the window hanging at that, that moment takes precedence and it's you know really it's another good reason to to give yourself a break from social media and this and stuff is just focus on yourself and try and get yourself centered and in a good spot you know now like you said before the next wave hits before, you know, when we're, when we're not in this dystopian time anymore, get on the ball now so that you're not in the chronic inflammatory disease category as a result of all the stress from, you know, however long this lasts. Mm. Um, So it's gives responsibility as people who do have that mindset of, Prevention and wellness as thriving, lacking a diagnosis um, to educate people as best we can.
0: Yeah, yeah, and, and it's like you know, and I think it's like one of those things, like like what you said, where it comes back down to something that we should have always been doing, like in the first place. Is like we just, I think this is like the personal accountability wake up call, and just saying that you know, like where people you know it's like it's like that all those memes are going around right now but like you know when people say like I can't wait for life to get back to normal it's like well why because that wasn't working anyway you know where it's like this is kind of like that wake-up call saying like you know we've been letting our health care go we've been letting our mental health and our physical health care go for so long because of a lack of personal responsibility and personal accountability to make sure that we're healthy I think like this is like a prime time where I hope that like people can kind of just take a little bit of a look at that and say like, yes, like I'm a 30 or 35 or 40 year old person. Like I should be healthier. Like I, even if I was to get like COVID-19, you know, like how would I fare that? Like, am I doing everything I can to stack the cards in my favor? You know, but like when I go to the grocery store right now and you know, like I see people like mini donuts and six or seven different kinds of candy and like pop and like, you know, then it's like a, jar or a a thing of canned corn that's like their vegetables or their healthy thing or whatever. And I just, and I like look at, I'm like, where's the accountability? Like, like really at the end of the day, like, where's, where's our personal accountability? Like, and where has that gone? Because if we're all in this together, like those hashtags going up around right now, like, I think that that should supersede just staying at home. It's like, if we're going to stay at home, like let's be healthy at the yep. same time, right? Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And that includes looking at mental health and it includes being, um, allowing oneself to be comfortable with where millions people who are out of work right now, they don't have the distraction of work, the responsibility yeah that they had with that and stuff has been kind of like simmering underneath the surface. It's not just simmering anymore. It's boiling out into people's everyday experience of themselves and of their lives. There's no, there isn't that distraction to help to, keep that stuff down so in addition to having to deal with living a dystopian novel right now and grieving the things that we took for granted and never thought in a million years we would be missing um there is that piece of what it's triggering even underneath the surface you know in addition to that like trauma and shock there's whatever else we've lived with for so long and just accepted or put on the back burner is also there. Hence the donuts, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? And the alcohol and the binge watching and not getting out for a walk or whatever it is. It's um, it, there's a lot there. And, you know, I've talked to so many people and, and it's a really interesting thing. It's like every day feels so different. Yeah. you know it's not like it's everyday feels like groundhog day yeah but it also feels completely di- like you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow you know yeah. in your psyche and then and then that absence of having a strong routine and responsibility and things that you're engaged in that are positive or creative is also Creating like a disturbed dream life for people. So people aren't sleeping as well. They're not getting as deep asleep. They're having really wacky dreams. Because again, all that stuff that is usually kept beneath the surface as your brain is processing the day's events when you sleep is now like the day's events have like become more spacious. So all... Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, I know I've had my moments with it um, it's just that this process is normal you know for all of us and um, and the importance of letting that stuff percolate up to the surface and letting yourself feel like crap for a little while or or do your meditation practice um, as the way to to buffer you know some of the comfort with it, or become more comfortable with being uncomfortable with it, is um, encouraging. Um, And I think, I think that we kind of all need that at different times right now. And, um, and then the, the other piece is the education about, you know, what is a healthy choice as far as foods go, or whatever it is, so that like you say, that the immune system can be balanced in the face of exposure.
0: Yeah. What are some of the things that, like? and again, like we kind of covered this before too, but just like a refresher for people, like, like what are some of the things that you suggest uh, to people that are like, what are some of your protocols that you're going through right now just to, you know, make sure that people around you, uh, you know, like your patients, you know, like your friends, your family, yourself, um, you know, to be able to make sure like that your immune system is like stacked up and running high. Cause I know I take a pretty unorthodox approach to boosting my immune system and yeah. some, of the, some of the protocols that I do. So I always like to be able to just to get everybody's perspective on the things that they're doing.
1: Well, I'm kind of really lucky because I have, you know, a lot of herbs yeah. <laughs> and I have the time now to really sit with like ordinarily, like in a normal scenario, I would just be like, oh, I just need this. I'll just, you know, order the pills, you know, because I don't have time to mix my own formula. Because if I do, I haven't had the time to sit with what I actually need properly. And so what I mix is not 100% bang on. So I've been trying to be really focused on mixing myself herb formulas and drinking those, reducing caffeine intake, reducing sugar intake, not snacking Mm -hmm. if i'm gonna have a snack then i make that a meal
0: yeah
1: yeah, so that i'm not actually snacking so that i'm eating less times a day but for the part I'm front-ending a lot of my meals. So, you know, that's better for your immune system because it actually puts you in, a le- in like a less of a state of, of um, insulin resistance when you do that, when you eat earlier in the day. And so um, I'm doing a walk I am wearing one. Um, just because I haven't had that antibody test yet. And I don't know if, even if I do have antibodies, if I'm immune long-term or not. So until I have that information, I'm going to err on the side of it because whatever it was that I had back then, I do not want it again (laughs) (laughs) or some variation of it. So, um, so I'm going for walks, getting fresh air in the, you know, wherever it comes in through the mask, um, getting sunlight. Whenever there's sunlight, just staring out the window at nature sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, little things. It's a, lot, it's a lot of little things. It's not like, you know, I've taken on a New Year's resolution and I'm going to change the world all of a sudden. It's just the little things that have kind of been nagging at me, you know, to, to shift just subtly. Um, and I wasn't able to do it right away. At first, I went through, you know, my emotional processing with the bulk of what I what I was dealing with at the time, and it was hard for me to take care of myself really well, um, you know. And I was more focused on trying to keep my daughter on like a good schedule and making sure she was getting good sleep, and and just being open with her and letting her be open with me making sure that she felt that she could about how she was feeling about what was happening. So of course it manifests differently for different age groups. Um, and that was really the focus at first, just kind of getting through each day and processing things. And then the other thing is that I've talked to some people about too, is this feeling that, you know, some days seem easier than others and, and it, it seems to be getting a little bit better, but there was this, Th- this feeling sometimes of like everything that I was doing felt like it took so much more energy than it would ordinarily take. Like it was like trudging through molasses, you know, to get through the day. And just being like, I do consults the other day, and I was just like, oh my god, I I needed a break. Like I was exhausted. I'm like what? The heck? It's just everything is so different, and the routine is so different. And I think there's so much like. or metaphorically that I think we're all feeling it and um and like moving into more like telehealth stuff. Like then there's the challenge of the lag in the conversation. The when the screen freezes up and it's all quite actually irritating to me and stressful, you know. So it's like just having a conversation with somebody sometimes can be exhausting because of all of that that needs to be accounted for and the way our brains have to process being in a video chat it's very different than having a one-to-one conversation with someone like our brains can't pick up some of the cues that we would normally get from someone in person so our body our brains have to like fill these gaps and um it's it is actually requiring more energy even though you don't have to like go somewhere and have the space ready and sit down and da it's it's it seems in one sense that it should be less energetically taxing, but really it's more for for those reasons and probably ones that I don't even know about. So, so it's like being um, okay with that, like knowing I'm just going to schedule one or two things a day right now and I'm not going to require too much of myself. I'm going to go get some fresh air, whether, even on the day it's raining out. I'm going to do whatever those little steps are, I'm going to make sure I cook my herbs. Um, I'm not going to snack, whatever it is, but I am going to be, I am being flexible with myself in other ways, you know, not overworking myself, not feeling like when I'm not feeling creative, like I should have to force it or something like that. Um, So it's, it's just been a real, it's been a, a big learning experience, but those are the things that I'm recommending for other people as well. Like, Minimizing the caffeine, the alcohol, the sugar. Um, Eating at regular mealtimes as much as possible. And I've been encouraging people like in my Facebook lives to please have a relationship with an Eastern medicine practitioner um, so that there are resources. If you do start to come down with something, you have that relationship with someone you can just reach out to them and get the right formula for your presentation, or if you do want to work on making yourself a less um, appealing host to a pathogen, then there are ways that that can be worked on through diet and other lifestyle practices that um, an Eastern medicine practitioner can, can is very well trained to help with. Um, it's in their scope of practice to be able to offer lifestyle guidance and herbal recommendations. So, yeah. Um, so those are the main things that I would say, be compassionate with yourself and at the same time, let you nurture yourself and nourish yourself mm. in in the right ways. You know, you feel it, you know, you you get those little nudges of what is it that I need to do? Do I need to go to bed maybe a little bit earlier or, do I need to make myself get out of bed in the morning a little bit earlier? Or do I need to sleep in or, you know, whatever is those little tiny. I got you back yeah
0: yeah. No, <laughs> and, and those are
1: the,
0: yeah and those are the things too you know like when you were kind of like alluding to it before is you know like saying that you know like the like the interruptions you know like when you're on uh, like telehealth and all that kind of stuff and you know like it, it was a really frustrating part for me too, like doing you know probably just like only podcasts like over like zoom now and missing like all the podcasts that I would normally be doing in person you know because there is all these freezes on these online platforms now and legs in conversations and stuff but then I had to like realize when I was listening to other people's podcasts I'm like these are all problems that are happening to everybody like you know but like when we feel when we've we've personalized them to like ourselves saying like you know because like to me like I couldn't figure out for the life of me I'm like why am I so like exhausted you know like I'm like I'm having like these weird naps during the day every once in a while you know I'm going to bed earlier I'm waking up later and then I'm like I'm like, well, do I have COVID-19? You know, because it's just like now I'm like tired all the time. Is this my symptom? You know, then I was like, it's so awful who I am. Usually I'm a minimal sleeper, you know, like part of my days. I'm like, well, is this just all that catching up to me now? You know, but then I was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, who cares? Like, why does it need a definition? Like, if I'm just like feeling a little bit tired, like why not just go have a nap for like 20, 30 minutes and then just get up and continue on with life? you know, like everything doesn't need this like label or it doesn't need to be a me thing it doesn't need to be this manifestation of like all these different reasons like it could simply just be just because you know like it just like this is what's happening right now and you know I think like the the biggest thing like what you alluded to and you know like something that I know a lot of people are saying is like we just need to give ourselves grace right now and kind of like still being productive and still kind of like making life a priority you know but just taking like this like Hyper accelerated, you know, capitalist style entrepreneur view to our days, kind of out of it a little bit because, for one, your wheels are just gonna be less spinning because you can't even be that person in today's reality, you know. So, like, why add more stress? Just kind of allow yourselves to be able to go through the days and do what feels right right now because that's the only thing we can do. Like, that's really the only thing that we can control right now, you know, amongst like this, like, really, you know, like questionable environment that we're all waking up to every day where like you said we all are waking up to a completely different day now than what we have ever had and even the day preceding that
1: yeah yeah
0: so yeah maybe that's a a great way to be able to wrap this up I only got about another five more minutes we could chat for before I have to go um anyway but it's always uh it's always such a pleasure being able to have you on and like maybe one of these days once we can kind of the doors are going to open and we can be able to talk about uh, some things that aren't COVID-19 and everything around. But I just feel like it's, uh, I always like to try to be able to get as much different perspectives and like, you know, people coming from like, you know, different areas of the world and, you know, different backgrounds to be able to interpret information. Because I feel like everybody in my life that I see regularly, you know, like they're just, their single source within inside their own narrative, no matter where they choose to get their information from. But I feel like in this, this day and age, like right now, where it's like, you know, we kind of need to be able to gather some information as adults and kind of see where we personally sit in that. So I really value your opinion and everything you bring to the table. And I always love to be able to share that with everybody.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm very happy to be on here and to talk with you each month. That's I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Yeah,
0: well, have a great rest of your day.
1: Thank you, you as well.
0: Good. Okay, thanks, Bridget.